Hi, welcome to the bonus episode that I promised you in episode number three, that this was going to be the long version of the babysitter story that I talked very briefly about in episode number three. So if you're listening, thank you very much. It means you want to hear the long version. So I'm just going to jump right into it because uh, it's a fun story. And I think as you listen, you'll definitely hear things reinforcing what I've been talking about so far in the first three episodes about being a leader with a team to lead and the importance of vision, shared vision, and some things I haven't even talked about yet, but I'll give you a preview of those things as well. So this story all started back when uh, I was struggling with the question of what do you love most about teaching? And I was asked that question so often as a teacher, you know, what do you love most about teaching? What do you love most about teaching? And you know, the obvious answer is supposed to be kids, right? Because it is for most people, that is the answer. And it's a great answer. It's about the kids. I love working with kids and I do love working with kids. And I really miss working with kids uh, on a regular basis. I still get to with some volunteer work I'm doing, but it's not quite the same as when you have your team all year long. And so, but that's what I struggled with for like about 16 years, believe it or not. And uh, one night I was up in my office doing some work. I was getting ready to do a presentation after school the following day at our local ISD where the county has a bunch of different uh, schools connected to it and they come in for special training or some PD sessions. And I was doing one on classroom management and team building for best year ever. And um, I was getting ready. I was up in my office. It was late at night. It was about 11 o'clock and I had to get to bed because I had to work the next day and teach all day before I went to my workshop. And I had my lesson plans done for school, but I knew I wasn't going to have time to get my lesson plans done for the ISD once I got to school the next day. So I, I really had to stay up and get those done. And, and suddenly I had this aha moment. I had this flash and it was like, it, 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 you know what, you know what an aha moment is? It's one of those moments where you get clarity. Suddenly, just all of a sudden a flash comes into your mind and, and something that you've been struggling with or thinking about for a long time, you get the answer to it or you, you get the clarity of what it was you're trying to figure out. That's exactly what I had up in my office. I was up in my office doing my lesson plans and suddenly I had this flash of awareness about what I loved most about teaching. Every year I get to create, lead, and be a member of a winning team. And just like I said in episode number three, I don't, I didn't get to pick my teams, but I got to lead my teams. I got to build my teams and take that group of people and turn them into a winning team. And then each year, no matter where they came in, I got to take that team from a certain level to a higher level. My goal was always to get each individual team to a higher level than when they came in. And that's what I love doing every day. That's what I loved most about teaching was getting my individuals on the team to believe in themselves and then collectively to believe in us as a team to work together to make it our best year ever. Uh, as a team, but also for the individuals as well. And so that is what where my passion for teaching really, really came in. And what I loved the most about that was once I built that team, I got to be a member of a winning team every year for 31 years of my career. For 10 months out of every year, I got to be a part of a winning team, not just be a part of it, but I got to be the leader of that team. And so I, I was really excited about that answer, you know, that, that aha moment. But I, the bad thing about that was that it was getting late. It was now probably about 1230 in the morning and I had to get up and teach the next morning and I was in bed and I couldn't go to sleep because I was so sort of like freaked out about that aha moment. All of a sudden I had that clarity. And so I was really, you know, jacked up on that and I was lying in bed and I was thinking about it. And so I thought what I would do is I, 
I realized, you know, I've always had an obsession for teams. So I thought I would trace it back to where did that obsession begin? Because I played soccer in college. I, I, you know, played soccer uh, in eighth grade on up and I played baseball for many years and I played other sports in high school. And so, so what was my obsession with teams? And so I was trying to take it back to where that all began. And I found the answer. And that's what I, I wanted to share the long version of this story with you. And so this is my first winning team. And it's when I was about seven years old. And this is not a sports team. This was a team made up of my siblings, my brothers and sisters. And there were five of us, there still are. And I'm the middle one of five. And this team's age ranged from my sister, who was about 13 years old, uh, somewhere around there. And I was, uh, I think I was around seven years old. I'm the, the middle one. And the youngest person on our team, my brother Philip, he was about two or three years old. And so that gives you the, the age range of where we were all. But I remember this, it was a Saturday morning and it was a typical Saturday morning in a suburb of Wheaton, Illinois in the early 1970s. And my brothers and sisters and I were in the family room, except for my oldest sister, but four of us were in the family room, lounging around, draped over the furniture, lying on the floor, watching our early morning cartoons. This was the only day out of the week my mom would let us, uh, you know, stay in the family room and watch TV, even if it was a nice sunny day. She'd let us have the morning up until about 11 o'clock or so, I think. But we could get up early and watch cartoons till about 11 o'clock, eat our cereal in there. So it was a big deal. Saturday mornings were kind of special. So we were in there doing our Saturday. Saturday morning ritual of watching cartoons. And all of a sudden, my sister, the leader of our team, of our winning team, walked in, Mickey. And she did something I've, I've only witnessed this one time. And she delivered the most amazing vision statement that caught our attention immediately, gripped us, and made us buy in immediately. And like I said, you know, in episode number two, it takes many times to uh, get a vision. It takes 20 to 21 to 30 days to, to get a vision really to stick in people's minds. And that's with constant repetition of, of repeating it and, and reminding them of why, you know, that's the vision and things like that. But she delivered this statement. She walked in. I'll never forget this. She walked right into the family room. She marched in. She owned her space, which is what great leaders do. She owned her space. She walked in front of the TV set. She looked each one of us in the eye and she said, tonight's the night we get rid of Kathy, our babysitter. Ooh, ooh, instant fire. I mean, literally, we all snapped our heads right, you know, right to her face and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she said, meet me upstairs in 10 minutes and don't let mom and dad find out. And she walked out of the room. And sure enough, 10 minutes later, we all kind of wandered upstairs. If we all did it at once, my parents knew about it. They know something was wrong because for us to give up our TV and go up into my sister's room and hang out together, that's unheard of unless we were made to do that. So, so we had to be careful about that. So we also kind of staggered up. We said, okay, you go now, you go now, you go. Okay. And so I was the one that when we all got up into my sister's room, I was the one looking out the door uh, to make sure if I saw my parents coming upstairs, we could all try to hide real quick so they wouldn't see us. Cause if they did, it was game over. And I also, had my ear to the air vents. I could kind of keep a, a sound on if they were coming or if they were, you know, moving around. And so we could kind of get quiet and listen to see what was happening. So we're assembled in her room. And as all great leaders do, my sister repeated the vision, just like many leaders do many, many times to make it stick. But she just repeated it to us one more time. And she said, tonight's the night we get rid of Kathy, the babysitter. 
And as all great leaders do, she took time to explain to us why we'd want to embark on such a dangerous journey or mission with her. She reminded us of how much we hated this babysitter. This babysitter tormented us. She was like Angelica of the Rugrats. She was super sweet and kind when she was around my parents. In fact, every time she'd be at our house, she'd be at their garage door when they were going out into the garage to get in the car to leave. And she'd be out there waving to them and she'd be saying, oh, goodbye, Mr. and Mrs. Cecil. You have a great time. Just just relax and have fun. We'll be great. Okay, you got bye-bye. You have fun. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. And as soon as that garage door would close, I kid you not, it was like she was wearing a mask. She'd take it off, and her real self would show, and she would be like, you guys, leave me alone. I, I got the TV set. Don't bother me when I'm watching my shows. And she'd go to our fridge, and she'd start taking our free food, and she was drinking soda pop. The only night we could drink it was on a Friday night. It'd be a Saturday night, because that was my mom and dad's date night, probably just to get away from us for the evening. And she'd go to the fridge, and she'd take out some of the pop and the free food, and she'd go hog our only television set in the house that we could use. And she would tell to get lost and not to bugger. And my sister reminded us of, of this. And she told us, this is the night that it ends. It's over. And then she told us, this is how we're going to do it. And then she did what all great leaders do. Give us the doable plan. So she laid out the steps of what we were going to do. She said, we're going to do this, 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 and this. And she repeated it like all great leaders do. She said, we're going to do this, 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 and this. In fact, she repeated it several times. And then she made us repeat it back to make sure we understood it. She said, what are we going to do? We're going to do this, 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 and this. And she said, great. And then as all great leaders do, what she did was she gave each one of us our roles on the team and told us what we were going to do and why it was important and that why we all had to do our roles well to pull this off, that everybody in this team was needed. Everybody had an important part to play. She took the time to do this. I remember she went to each one of us and she said, you're going to do this, this, and this, and this is why you're going to do it. And then you're going to do this, this, and this, and this is why this has to happen right when I tell you to do it. And this is going to be what you're going to do. And this is what you're going to do. And so then she made us repeat back what we were going to do to make sure we understood our jobs and then it's all great leaders do she took stock you know resources we had available in our house she didn't say well this would have worked if we could get mom and dad's credit card but we can't and we need to go out and buy some things but you know we can't do that so i guess it's not gonna work no she did what great leaders do she took stock of the available resources and she said this is what we have around the house this is what we need and this is what we're going to get for the rest of the morning we're going to go out when i say go and you're going to find these things i'm going to give you each a little list of things to get when mom and dad aren't in the room you can't let them see you do this or it's game over And she went over that and she told us what we were going to get and where it was. And then we were going to come upstairs and hide it under her bed. That was our job the rest of the morning. This was like a fun game to us. We're so excited. We're all in on this. And so sure enough, that's what we did the rest of the morning. And then that afternoon, we did something that all great leaders do and that all great winning teams do that most of us never even see. We show up on game day, but we don't see what goes on behind the scenes. She made us practice, 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 or rehearse, whatever you want to call it. She made us go over it, go over it, go over it all afternoon. Any chance we got when my dad was out cutting the lawn or working in the yard and my mom went to the grocery store, we found time where the house was empty. We would go through this. She made us practice, practice, practice what we were going to do. We did it all afternoon. Her philosophy was that at game time, we wouldn't have to think about what we were doing. We would just do it. It would just come naturally to us and we would just react. Instead of having to think about it, we'd be so well-trained that we would just do it. And sure enough, that night arrived at seven o'clock, just like every Saturday night, she was at the door saying goodbye to my parents. Bye-bye, Miss Me. No, you'll be good. You have fun. Oh, just forget about us. We'll be great. Okay, bye-bye. I'll be taking care. Bye-bye. Have fun. 
garage door goes down. Her masks come off. She goes right to the fridge like she always does. Like my sister reminded us that she did. And sure enough, she went into the family room, hogged our TV set like she always does, and told us to get lost. My sister looked at us and she said, upstairs in my room in five minutes, it's go time. Sure enough, five minutes later, we're all assembled back up into her room. You could feel the excitement in this room. My sister was telling us to calm down like all great leaders do. She said, you have to think, guys. You have to stay calm. You have to react. But you can't get all jacked up right now. You can't get too excited. So focus, focus, focus. She reminded us that. And then what she did, as all great leaders do, she quickly reviewed our game plan one more time. She told us what we were doing and why we were doing it. She reminded us of the freedom that we would have of no longer having this babysitter if we could get rid of her. And then she did what all great leaders do and she reminded us of what our roles were and what each of us needed to do and when we needed to do it and how we needed to do it. And she checked with each one of us to make sure we didn't have any, any final questions. And if we did, she answered them. And then as all great leaders do, she reminded us that we had practiced, we have everything we needed, we were all ready to go. But she did the most important thing every great leader does at this moment. She looked at each one of us in the eye and she said, before we go any further, I have to know from this point on, are you in? Because if, if we're not all in, we're not doing this. So I need, to see, I need to hear you tell me you're in. So she looked at each one of us and we said, you know, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, you know? And she said, great. And she said, places. We even had places. Let me tell you where we are. I am looking over a banister that goes down to a narrow stairwell right below me. And it's like 10 steps that go from the first floor where the babysitter's down on that floor in the family room. There's a door that opens and you come up this narrow stairwell that goes up about 10 steps. It has a light right above it. It has a switch down at the, uh, the bottom of the stairs. And then you hit a little landing and you turn right and you come up five more stairs to the top of the stairs where there's another light switch for the same light right above us. And then there's a banister that comes around and then takes a, a, a left over to where I'm standing, where I'm looking down at the, the stairs. That's where I'm standing. My sister, the leader of our team, like all great leaders do, she has positioned herself next to me, but in a position where she can see everybody on, the, on our team upstairs standing around, and she knows exactly where they are and if they're in the right place, and she's monitoring and adjusting. She's actually you know, saying, move over a little bit like that. Great. You're perfect. Okay. Beth, you do this. Okay. Yeah. yeah great, sir. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So she was monitoring, adjusting what was going on. But what was most important as all great leaders do, she had a look of confidence that we could all see her. And so even though we were nervous, we looked at her and she looked so calm and confident. And so we were starting to feel like we should be confident too and, and to calm down. And we're, we're in good hands. Our leader knows what we're doing. And she looks like, she feels like we're going to be victorious. So sure enough, she said, okay, let's start this. So I have to tell you what's going on, but first I'm going to tell you where everybody else is. So my sister is standing there next to me, and then my other sister, Sarah, who's a year younger than me, she's standing next to me. Sarah's the gifted one in the family. Sarah has this ability to, you say cry, and instant tears would come out of her face when she was a kid. She'd be like, what? She'd go downstairs, mom and dad, so-and-so beat me up, and so-and-so, and you didn't even touch her, and she'd be crying real tears, and my parents would get upset, and we'd get punished for that. And then you'd say, stop, and those tears would evaporate immediately. It was a gift she had, and she used it all the time. Tonight, she was going to use it to our favor. 
Beth, my oldest or my older sister, who's not the oldest, Mickey's the oldest, but Beth was about a year younger than Mickey. And she was standing by a light switch that would turn on the same light that the bottom switch would do as well. And the light was currently off, but she's by the switch and she has her finger on the switch. Like she almost, she looked nervous because Beth was such the kindest, gentlest person you'd ever meet. And she would just be so sweet. She wouldn't throw a, a pebble in a puddle and fear that it would stir the, make ripples for the little critters that were coming up to get a little sip of water, little insects or whatever. Beth was standing there and I remember her hand shaking like she had to switch to the bomb or something. And she was just like not touching the switch, but her hand wasn't near it. And she had a death stare on my sister, my oldest sister, Mickey, waiting for her signal. My two-year-old little brother is in this plan, believe it or not. Philip, he was told by Mickey that he had to hold the feet of the, and I got to tell you what we're doing. We're holding a dummy that we made that day. Um, we made a dummy to look like my oldest sister. It even had a wig head because moms back in the early 70s wore wigs and they had these styrofoam wig heads. So we had a styrofoam wig head with a wig on it that we had Bobby pinned in. And we even decorated the face to sort of look like my sister. And we had tied sweatshirts and other things and tied it and bolt, you know, and made sure they were secure. And we had stuffed the inside of the shirts and the sweatpants with canned goods that we had collected, stuffed animals, toys of ours, to give it weight like my sister. And we had cinched the bottoms so that it was like the feet, so that it would keep everything from falling out. And so we're holding this dummy, uh, my sister Mickey and I, and my little brother behind us is holding the feet off the floor. And in his two-year-old little brain, he thinks that if the feet ever touch the floor at any time, the babysitter is going to come to live with us for the rest of our lives. So I can still hear him in the back very softly saying over and over again, I got feet, I got feet, I got feet, as he's holding them above the floor. So we are all ready. And my sister looks at him and goes, okay, it's time. So what her plan was, and she had thought this out as all great leaders do, her and I were known for fighting because we were the oldest male in the family and the oldest female in the family. And so it was turf wars. It was who's really in charge when mom and dad aren't home. And this was a common fight. Don't tell me what to do. No, no, don't you tell me what to do. And so, you know, I'm, and so I'm in charge. No, I'm in charge. And so this was something that was common in our household. My parents heard this, my brothers and sisters heard this, and this was our common fight. So we started up our common fight. We're upstairs and we start yelling, Hey, don't you tell me what to do. No, don't you tell me what to do. I'll tell you, look, you did a... And we're yelling back and forth. And so we're stomping the floor and making a lot of noise. And the babysitter did exactly what my sister said she would do. Instead of getting up from her chair downstairs and coming upstairs and checking it out, she yelled from the chair, knock it off up there. Don't make me come up there. You'll be sorry. My sister knew she would do this. She had a plan B in place, a contingency plan in case plan A didn't work. So we, she said, okay, it's plan B. Let's kick it up a notch. So we started stomping even louder and we started using the word kill because kill was important to get her off the chair, we felt. So we're like, I'm going to kill you. No, I'm going to kill you. Don't you tell me what to do. Don't you tell me what to do. I'm gonna, you're gonna, dead. You're dead. After my oldest sister, Mickey, looked at my sister, Sarah. She pointed at her. Sarah goes running downstairs crying. Oh, oh, they're going to kill each other. They're going to kill each other. They're going to kill each other. You hear the babysitter get up. My sister comes running back up the stairs and she goes, she's coming, she's coming. She stands back next to me and and now she stands back and she stops crying. And so she's watching. I'm looking over the banister and sure enough, the babysitter comes flying, opens the door, comes flying up the stairs. She hits the switch to turn on the light so she can see where she's going. She hits about the third step. Just as she hits the third step, my sister gives my other sister the signal. She flips the switch so the switch goes off. It goes dark. And just as it goes dark, my sister and I dump the dummy on the babysitter and my sister screams bloody murder as the dummy falls towards the babysitter. (laughs) Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking these are evil kids. No, 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 no. Let me explain. What our babysitter does next 
explains her character perfectly. She comes up, she hits the switch, the lights go on, my sister gives the signals, lights go out, scream, we drop the dummy, and the dummy hits the babysitter, and the babysitter goes forward, she flies forward, and sure enough, she hits the stairs, we we may have overestimated the, the weight of the dummy, uh, but it threw her forward, she catches the stairs, she doesn't hurt herself, but she's lying, you know, she's standing there on the, uh, holding onto the stairs, facing the stairs, and all of a sudden she stands up screaming, she shrugs or the, the dummy off of her, and she steps over the dummy, never once looking down to see if it was okay or to see what was going on she's just screaming she runs out the back door of the house and never comes back <laughs> victory i couldn't believe it we pulled this off we celebrated like winning teams like championship teams do we celebrated like champions we were screaming and hugging and laughing and just just making fun of the whole situation we were celebrating like i've never seen my brothers and sisters and i celebrate before and sure enough, we lived like champions for the next hour or so. We were downstairs eating free, you know, the food that my babysitter was eating that we really shouldn't have been eating either without my mom's permission. And we were drinking soda pop on a Saturday night past our bedtimes, watching like the Bob Newhart show, Mary Tyler Moore show and the Carol Burnett show. We were staying up late drinking soda pop on a Saturday night instead of Friday night for the Brady Bunch Partridge family, the only nights we could drink it. And we were eating foods and just having the best time of our lives, celebrating like champions. Until about 11.30 when the garage door opened. Within the next five minutes, I got to tell you, that was the fastest I've ever seen a winning team disband in my life. Fingers were flying. My mom and dad are yelling at us. They're, you know, they're, they're yelling back, crying. He made me. She made me. I didn't want to do this. She forced me. We're just going back and forth, back and forth, pointing fingers. And I got to tell you, we got punished pretty good for that. I don't think any of us saw the light of day outside of our house for two, you know, other than school and to go to church wherever else we had to go. We didn't get to have any freedom for about two months or nor did we have any friends over or anybody else to play with. We got punished pretty good for that. But I got to tell you, we still, to this day, I think that was one of our greatest victories as brothers and sisters. And we've come together for, for other projects or things we had to deal with or, or you know, celebrations or, or even funerals or whatever. But we've come together, but we've never been as tight as we were that day. That was the fastest I've ever seen a winning team disband in my life. But it's okay. You know why? Because that seed was planted in this seven-year-old's mind that when you join forces with others, you become larger than yourself. You can do things you would never be able to do on your own. None of us would have been able to get rid of Kathy the babysitter on our own. But that night, the babysitter from hell was no match for the Cecil team. And I've been chasing that power of team ever since. And that's why it became such a big part of my classroom as I talked about in episode three and that I hope you'll do the same because you're going to, you're going to love the results you get. And if, if, and more than anything, and I didn't, I don't think I mentioned this in episode number three, it's just fun. It's just fun being in a place every day where you feel a part of something larger than yourself. And you know, you're all working together to accomplish something really special that you, none of you are probably ever going to forget the rest of your lives. I still have students I talk to that still remind me when they see me, Mr. Cecil, I, st I still think about best year ever. I'm still having my best year ever, you know, and it's something that makes me proud that it locked in that, that sense of being a part of that winning team. So I hope you'll do the same. So I, I, again, I really appreciate you taking the time to come and hear the whole story, but that's it. And uh, hopefully, you, you, you know, you got some things out of that story to remind you of what I was trying to do in my classroom as well, based on my first experience to be on a winning team. So thank you guys. And remember, best year ever, you have the power to make it happen.